Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. It is just a testament to me, like, we were never meant to do this life alone. We need each other. And everybody needs saving at some point, you know. Um, my nurses did it for me. Sorry. And I get to do it for these patients. And it is my privilege. I leave these patients' rooms a better person. That's Brooke Johns. She is a registered nurse at Southern Hills Hospital in Las Vegas. And when she is not busy running around the emergency room providing care there, she comes in on her days off and offers self-care to patients that have to stay in the hospital for a long period of time. She comes in, she braids their hair, she brushes their hair. She just makes them feel special. Why does she do this? Well, she shares that with us today on Connections. Brooke Johns is our guest today. She is a registered nurse at Southern Hills Hospital and Medical Center in Las Vegas. Now, nursing wasn't always Brooke's first choice when it came to a career. She actually started off in broadcasting. Brooke, tell us a little bit about how that all came to be and how you eventually went down that road of nursing. Well, that broadcasting was my um, first life, you know, it was (laughs) when I was uh, a young, you know, 18 to 22 year old um, in college the first time and I just thought it would be really, really cool to be on the sidelines of sports events doing broadcasting, Um, was warned that it was a mobile job, meaning you would need to move around uh, to progress, which I didn't have a problem with at the time, Hmm. but then uh, met my husband and got married, graduated with the communications degree, but uh, we decided to start a family. And so that became, that became the the dream instead of, you know, doing the broadcasting. And then I was a stay-at-home mom for 14 years and I decided to go into nursing because of excellent nursing care that I received during a, during the most difficult time of my life, I wanted to go and do likewise. I wanted to do for people what had been done for me. Are you willing to share that story? Tell us a little bit, if you are willing, um, about what happened with you and your situation. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's, I, I always, I always do the disclaimer of when, when we have the stories of struggle, I think it's really important that when we share them, it's, it's because we are sharing from a place of being, being healed or healing. And so I share this story to let people know that are having a hard time that it, you won't always feel like that. Um, it is, it's hard when you're going through it and it feels like it's, this is just how life is and it's not, you, you will, you will see the, you will see the light again. Um, I, we had just moved to Las Vegas and found out that I was pregnant with a fourth 
uh, child and it was completely unplanned, but we went in for a procedure and found out that her heart had stopped. Her heart had failed. And having three previous children, I had been, you know, I'd been through pregnancies before, but I had never that I know of experienced loss like that. And it's something that I think it's like one of the big secrets. Women don't talk about, you know, pregnancy loss. I feel like they should. It's Mm -hmm. still this great, this great mystery. And I think a lot of women are left feeling, why is this so hard for me when it's not for everybody else? And I promise you, it is hard for everybody else. Um, What happened as a result of that was the first time I'd ever experienced postpartum depression. So I was experiencing postpartum depression with no baby and we had just moved. So I had no support system. So I describe that time as very, very dark. And uh, I, one of my symptoms was insomnia and I would watch the sun come up. And there was at one point I just got fed up. I just was so frustrated and said, you know, if I am going to watch the sun come up, I'm going to learn something. I'm going to do something with all this extra time. So I started memorizing the muscles of the body and the bones of the body. And just through doing that, the idea popped into my head of a go, go back to school, go to nursing school. And it was, it was kind of like one of those aha moments, like, of course, that's mm-hmm. what I should do. Just again, given the care that I was given during this time, you know, from emergency room nurses to genetic counselors to, they just were all very kind and compassionate. And I credit them for holding my head above water. Um, and so I, that's what I did. I went back to nursing school with three kids and finished, um, a, you know, a few years later and um, was hired um, right away into the emergency room. What was that like to go back to school uh, later on in life and, and with family now? It was hard. Uh, they school is hard anyway, uh, trying to juggle different lives while you're going to school is a different kind of hard. I chose to look at it where my kids were old enough where they, they could see that it was hard. And in our home, we, we always emphasize the importance of education And this was a real life witness for them to see not just mom saying education was important, but to watch mom have education be important. So I think, I think that it was a really good experience for the whole family. What has been your favorite part now that you are nursing? What would you say is the best part about it and about that career? I think the best part about nursing is the access that you have to people during a time where really they don't give access to many others. Um, when, 
when I have a patient, they, they often, I mean, they usually give me information that really only a few other people have. Uh, they are in, you know, in the emergency room, nobody wakes up and it's like, you know, what'll be fun today going to the emergency room. So this, these are unplanned events, you know, they're, they're not feeling well, they are in pain, they are scared. And I have access to them at these very, very critical times in their lives. And the privilege of that is I get to at least attempt to make them feel seen, heard, and as safe as they can possibly be. And all, all while recognizing that people are not at their best when they're scared or stressed or in pain. Um, but I really, really feel that a nurse makes or breaks your experience and I want to make it. And like you said, you're dealing with everything in the emergency room. You're not just dealing with people in pain. You're dealing with people that are, they're angry. They're mad. Sometimes you get all, all sorts of emotions from people arriving in the emergency room. How do you deal with that? And how do you cope with that? I I just think by remembering that people are people. And I think having gone through um, heartache gives you a different perspective. Like when I see somebody get very angry, seemingly for something very small, I look at that and I go, they're, they're scared. They're terrified right now. They don't understand what is going on. And so let, let me help them not be scared. And I communicate that to them and it, it, it instantly brings somebody down. And I've even had patients break down because sometimes they don't even realize that they're, that they're scared Uh, or, you know, what the emotion that they're experiencing to them is anger. And when you can identify that root underlying emotion, what they're really, really experiencing, it is disarming. And I think comforting to them that somebody understands Speaking of comfort, you're an ER nurse. That is busy, extremely busy. Being a nurse overall is busy. Working in healthcare is busy. But you make time on the side to go in and to give a little bit of extra love to the patients at the hospital you're working at. What inspired you to do this? Uh, the, The main inspiration was I had a friend that was inpatient at my, at the hospital that I worked at. And this was during COVID and when COVID was brand new. And so hospitals had uh, a no visitor policy. Nobody was allowed uh, in, especially to COVID positive patient rooms, but it just in general, nobody was allowed. And she was a surgical patient um, and was in the hospital for three weeks. And because I worked at the hospital, I got permission to be able to go upstairs because the emergency room is downstairs. And then when you're admitted to the hospital, you go upstairs to just go in and visit with her um, 
after, after my shifts. And, um, I just, uh, you know, just through talking to her, um, having somebody there, uh, engaging, she just, the, the person that I walked into was not the same person that I walked out of. She was, you know, pretty quiet at first, um, looked tired. I would even say pale. And then by the end of the, uh, by the end, when I, when I actually needed to go home, she was sitting up more straight and engaging. There were more fate, there was more facial expression and, it was amazing to me to watch that happen so quickly. And um, one of the things that I did notice was that, I mean, you have to remember these are, these are very, these are sick people. I mean, you think your sickest day, you're still at home. And so you have to remember these people are sicker than your sickest day at home because they qualified for hospital admission. And so there's not, a lot of extra energy and self-care kind of gets put on the back burner. They don't have the energy to brush their own hair or their teeth or put on, um, you know, an outfit for the day, you know, they're in their pajamas and pretty, and they sleep a lot of the time, their body, their reserves are elsewhere. Their body is recovering. And um, I noticed that her, hair was very tangled because she simply just didn't have the energy to brush it herself. So I asked her if she would like me to brush out her hair. And it was a, you know, a resounding yes. She just, I mean, it, it, her whole face brightened up. And so we brushed it out and we washed it and the braiding came about by, it was simply practical. It, It kept her hair out of her face and neatly tied up so that it wouldn't get tangled again. But I mean, it, it braid, it also feels really great to have your hair braided, you know, for mm-hmm. those of us that have had our hair braided by somebody else, it's, it's very comforting. And I think very bonding between females. Uh, I remember being in grade school and, you know, teachers reading books and the girls would line up front to back, just braiding each other's hair. You know, it's just, it's just something that is innate that, that girls do. And, um, I mean, not all girls, but I mean, even people that have hair that is too short, having your hair played with is just very, um, calming and comforting. And so I went up, um, I, I was able to do that for her a few more times just to make sure that her hair was okay. And it just through the process started clicking for me, you know, if this, if this one person was benefiting so much from this, she's a hospital, you know, admit, I bet you there are rooms full of hospital admits that are having the same issue that are tired and weak and recovering and do not have the energy to care for themselves. And would benefit from the time and the touch. And so from there, it spread. And little did you know that that one special act of kindness to your friend would blow up like it has. And now not only are you helping uh, the patients at your hospital, I am sure you have encouraged 
other nurses around the world because of one simple act. What yes. does that feel like to know that your one simple thing, you took a braid or it took someone's hair and you braided it, has turned into this global movement? Uh, it was very shocking to me at first that this story connected with people so much. But then I started listening to the people that would respond, you know, that they had been in the hospital and had a a nurse do this for them, or maybe, or that they wished that somebody would have done this for them or that their mom was in the hospital and they, as a family member did this for their family member. Or, um, I mean, I've gotten messages from around the world of people saying, I wish that this was a program. I wish that this was at all the hospitals. So it is, it is just a testament to me. Like we were never meant to do this life alone. We need each other and everybody needs saving at some point, you know, um, my nurses did it for me. Sorry. And I get to do it for these patients. And it is my privilege. I leave these patients' rooms a better person. They're brave, brave people that all have their their own stories. And they trust me. They trust me with their stories. And it it is a privilege. I mean, I, I will never stop. And you're a busy woman. You have kids. You are working in the ER and you will never stop. Nope. Because people are important. They matter. And, you know, you never know when you walk in to one of these patients' rooms what their whole life story is. And this is like in life, too. We... We get these little snippets of people's stories and we kind of thread it together with what we think of them and that is who they are. And I don't know, when I enter a patient room, I don't know if they've had a great life, a hard life, you know, I don't know. But for those minutes that I'm there, for that, you know, 15 to 30 minutes that I'm there, they are going to feel loved. And that is, that is my goal for them to feel valued and important and loved then in there. And I think that that is healing. It is a different kind of healing than, you know, what they're at the hospital for. Obviously we need medical interventions but I think that this, I, I think that they just work so well together that we need, we need the other kind too. I know I told my husband uh, about you and about your story. He's also a nurse. And the first thing he said is, that's the one thing I long to do. Yeah. I walk into the patient's room and all I want to do is to give them a little bit of extra time. But that time is not there. What would you say to other nurses or other people in healthcare out there that are going, well, I don't have the time. You obviously have made time for this. What would you say to them? And 
how would you encourage them to be able to provide this extra, this extra love and extra care? When you're at work, you, you don't have time. I mean, it, you've, you've got, when I say you don't have time, you have different priorities when you're on the clock and you're caring for that patient in a different way. And nurses, I, I've never met a, a breed of person like nurses, like nurses get into nursing usually because they've had some sort of tragedy in their own lives and they they are agents for change they are some of the kindest most compassionate people i have ever met they they're brilliant they they care about their patients even sometimes when it seems like they they may maybe don't they do uh, there's a re- there is a reason why they are there. Um, I, I, I mean, just you can only give what you, what you have, you know, and you have to make sure that you are filling your own cup because you can't give from an empty cup, right? So you can't give somebody something that you don't have. So I wouldn't, I, I don't think it's a, you know, this is how you make time to do this. I think it's a, what are your talents? What, what do you love? Um, how, how are you going to leave a mark or make a difference? And that looks very different for everybody else. You know, it's for me, I, I'm a planner, you know, I also feel that I, um, struggle a little bit with, with anxiety. I'm, I'm an overthinker. This is not uncommon for the profession either. We're usually type A overthinkers. Um, and I learned from an early age through having a mother who was very service oriented, that serving others calmed me. And it is a perspective that you don't get anywhere else. And so when I start to feel out of control or a little anxious or that the world is just not a good place, that's when I know, that's when I know what to do. I know what to do. I need to go and do something outside of myself. And it's like this backwards thing. You think, oh, you're, you know, you're having a hard time. You're needing to process your own stuff. But when you turn outward and, and help others, it's healing for you. With those patients, what would you say, or has there been one moment that really stands out to this day that really just moved you Uh, there? I mean, there have been, there have been several, I mean, I have heard stories from patients that would just, that would just bring you to your name, your knees, you know, every, there is struggling and suffering behind every door. And we don't get, we don't get to see that, you know? And so sometimes we assume that we're the only ones going through that. But one of, one of my patients that I actually didn't start out out helping um, by braiding, I, she actually was an ER patient and um, she needed to be admitted to the hospital and just did not want to go. And this is not uncommon. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's not, it's not the dream to, you know, need to be admitted to the hospital, but I just, you know, took her hand and just said, if you were mine, I would tell you to go like you, you need to go, you need help. 
and it's not the kind of help that we can offer you at your home. And so she consented to be admitted to the hospital. And then uh, a few days later, it was one of my days to go up and braid. And when I go up and braid, I go um, to the floor and I have my phone and then the, a broadcast is sent to all the nurses on the floor saying, hey, if you have a patient that would like this, uh, just text, just text Brooke. And this is her number. And so all I get are room number texts. And, you know, that's to, pro- to protect patient privacy. And um, so I don't know who these people are until I walk into the room. I have a room number. And oddly enough, I got a room number, walked in, and there she was. It was the, the girl that I had spent um, a, a significant amount of time with and had, you know, encouraged her to stay and to, to receive treatment. And it was like this sweet reunion Another thing about the ER is we never get to know the end of the story. Mm -hmm. We know the beginning of the story. And then you leave our, you leave our care into somebody else's care. And because of um, patient privacy, when, once you're no longer in our care, we no longer have access to your information. And so we never get to know the end of the story and seeing her in the hospital getting better was such a rare treat for me to be able to see, you know, this person who was having some struggles, needed to go to the hospital, didn't want to go to the hospital, but ultimately consented, was receiving treatment and was getting better. And now I get to braid her hair. It was, it was fantastic. At the end of the day, for those who have seen what you're doing, have heard what you're doing, what do you hope they'll take away from all of this? Um, I hope that they take away just that that people are worth it. Um, I, I do get a lot, you know, how do you manage to spend this time uh, doing this when you do have your own family? And I mean, it's not just you don't just go to school and then go home. You have a, you do other things as well. And I just say, getting here is the hardest part. It's like, you know, working out. What's the hardest part? Getting to the gym, right? <laughs> once you're <Yes>. there, <laughs> once you're there, you you're, you pretty much know what to do. Getting there is the hardest part. And you just kind of have to put on your life blinders and say, this is what I'm doing right now and insist upon it because there will always be things that come up or that you need to do. I mean, I've I have literally driven to the hospital to braid and then realized that I've cleaned out my car and none of my braiding stuff is in the car. Oh no. (laughs) You know, it's just like life happens. And so I will just text and say, I'm happy to come up, but I have none of my tools. Would it be okay if I come tomorrow? And then I'm already out so I can, you know, run my errands that are around that area right then. Or it's just about, it being, it being a priority and service to me is a priority and because people are important, but because of the change that it has made in me. And it's just, it's just, like I said, we need each other. I, when I go into these patient rooms, I am them. There is no, you know, patient and 
nurse mentality. There's a quote, uh, there's a quote that just says compassion is a is not a relationship between the wounded and the healer. It's a relationship between equals. And I believe that to my very core. So it's just, you, I just, you just make time for it. You make time for what is important. And I feel people are important. We are hardwired for connection and where there is no connection, there is suffering. And I, I, my job is to alleviate suffering. If there is something that I can do for somebody that will alleviate suffering, I will do it. And that that's what I get to do when I go braid hair is alleviate suffering. I just love how something as simple as braiding hair is so life-changing and yes. inspirational. It blows my mind. Thank you. You are an amazing person and we appreciate you making time for us today. Oh, it was my pleasure. And thank you so much for listening. Remember, if you want to hear this full conversation again or any of the other conversations that we've had on Connections, you can do that by checking out our podcast, Connections with Mike, Tom, and Colleen Hood. You can find that at podcastville.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.